welcome to worship this fourth Sunday of Lent at Seattle Mennonite Church. We always begin our worship with an acknowledgement that we are gathering on the traditional territory of indigenous peoples. Here in Seattle, we are on the unceded lands of the Duwamish. We affirm that settlers have specific responsibilities in the journey of reconciliation with indigenous peoples. As a congregation, we cont contribute real rent to the Duwamish tribe and many of our households are also real renters. We'll put um, a link to the Duwamish real rent program in the chat. We give thanks to the creator and to the peoples who have stewarded our lands for generations. We are grateful for the opportunity to live, work and worship here as we witness the reconciling movement of the spirit and seek to live into right relations with our indigenous neighbors and all of creation. There's also right now an active petition for federal recognition of the Duwamish tribe at change.org, along with additional information about how the United States has, despite assurances, withheld recognition and how formal tribal status would help the Duwamish negotiate and secure benefits. We'll put a link to the petition for that in the chat as well, in case you would like to add your name. For this time of Lent, we are hearing stories of repentance, rejoicing, and repair. We'll hear stories that Jesus tells and encounters that he has with followers and friends. In each case, one or all of these themes appear. The invitation to repent, turn away from that which separates us from the love of God and from our neighbor. Rejoicing in praise or joyful celebration. Repairing where there has been harm and rebuilding or comforting where there has been brokenness. I have to say, Luke, the only gospel writer to include today's parable, pulls no punches addressing the entanglement and potential danger of wealth. Prompting Professor Dorothy Jean Weaver to label money and possessions hazmats to be handled with extreme caution. In the tradition of introspection and reflection during Lent, we'll also have time for confession and be able to receive the assurance of God's love and grace in each of these Sundays. And finally, we know that the Holy Spirit will continue to weave us together as a community. We want to continue claiming this time of physical distance not simply as something to endure, but as an experience that we can share together. Let us begin our worship with a song. Robin and Mike will lead us in Here in This Place from Voices Together. And we just wanted to mention that you can be alert for a few changes to the lyrics in this old favorite. Here in this place, your light is streaming. Now are the shadows vanished away. See in this space, our fears and our dreamings brought here to you in the light of this to be light 
join me in this call to worship. I will read the letters in white and we can all together read the letters in purple and again me. The dust that shapes the journey, the cross that guides it, the color that surrounds it, the light that fades through it, the word that foretells it, the wilderness that invites it. This, this is Lent, Lent, and into its wilderness, wilderness God calls us. Come, friends, Christ is heading for Jerusalem. As we light our just peace candle again this week, we acknowledge that we both witness to and participate in God's vision for a just peace for all creation. For today's lighting, I'm using our Lenten space, a time of reflection, as permission to read from Walter Brueggemann's collection, Prayers for a Privileged People. This prayer is titled, The Noise of Politics. We watch as jets fly in with the power people and the money people, the suits, the budgets, the billions. We wonder about monetary policy because we are among the haves and about generosity because we care about the have-nots. By slower modes, we notice Lazarus and the poor arriving from Africa and the beggars from Central Europe and the throng of environmentalists with their vision of butterflies and oil, of flowers and tanks, of growing things and killing fields. We wonder about peace and war, about ecology and development, about hope and entitlement. We listen beyond jeering protesters and soaring jets. And faintly, we hear the mumbling of the crucified one. Something, something about feeding the hungry and giving drink to the thirsty, about clothing the naked and noticing the prisoners more about the least and about holiness among them. We are moved by the mumbles of the gospel, even while we are tenured in our privilege. We are half ready to join the choir of hope, half afraid things might change, 
and in a third half of our faith, turning to you and your outpouring love that works justice and binds each, us each and all to one another. So we pray among jeering protesters and soaring jets, come by here and make new, even at some risk to our entitlements. May we, who are privileged, find paths to less entitlement and more just peace. And together, we long for a just peace. We pray for a just peace. We choose to live for a just peace. Peace be with you. And also Okay, let's turn now to that perhaps troubling parable in Luke. Today's scripture is Luke chapter 16, verses 19 to 31. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In the place of the dead, where the rich man was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, child, remember that during your lifetime, you received your good things and Lazarus in like manner, evil things. But now he's comforted here and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us, a great chasm has been fixed so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. The rich man said, then father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them so that they will not also come into this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets, they should listen to them. The rich man said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone comes to them from the dead, they will repent. Abraham said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. Our Lenten practice is to take time for reflection and confession. Let's join in this practice now, I'll begin and ask you to read the words, forgive us in purple on the screen. And Lauren will help lead your responses. 
God whose arms are always open in welcome. We turn to you in repentance. When we have turned away from our neighbor. Forgive us. When assumptions and stereotypes have blinded us to truth. Forgive us. When we have failed to attend to your word. Forgive us. Repair what has been broken in us. And with your help, may we seek to repair the brokenness we cause. Friends, now hear these words of assurance. The God who welcomes us with open arms rejoices in our homecoming. Receive the assurance and joy of God's love. Let's join in song again. Robin and Mike will lead us in What a Fellowship. What a fellowship, what a joy divine, leaning on the everlasting arms. What a blessedness, what a peace is mine, leaning on the everlasting arms. Leaning, leaning, safe and secure from everyone. For our uh, children's time this morning, I'm going to be sharing a book again, as I often do, but I'm also doing the tech at the same time. So I'm, I'm a little tongue-tied. So I'm sharing this book called Tiger Woman, written by Lawrence Yep, and this is based on a Chinese folktale. When I look at this cover and I see the title Tiger Woman, I, it makes me wonder about who this woman is, who has the face of a woman, but she has tiger paws and she has a tiger tail. It doesn't look very happy. I wonder if that's a clue about what's going to happen in this book. So there she is, there is the tiger woman. There was once a selfish old woman who would never share anything. Her favorite food was bean curd, which she made into smooth, white, glistening sheets and cut into little cubes. Then she would steam it or boil it and fry it. On hot days, she would eat it cold with just a little bit of soy sauce and scallions. On market day, 
She ate her bean curd and rice on her doorstep so she could watch the spectacle. Farmers and shepherds and goat herds, sellers of birds and callers, uh, <laughs> sellers of birds, of crickets, of portrait painters and toy peddlers, all of them came to the square, even the rich folk in their sedan chairs on the shoulders of sweaty men. One day, as the woman stuffed herself, she watched her neighbor bargain with a farmer for a scoop full of grain. Just as she finished her meal, a ragged old man limped into town. And he saw her and he bowed and said, your bean curd gleams like the whitest jade and I'm so empty, please come to my aid. The old woman glared and said, a sillier thing I've never heard, I will not waste my sweet bean curd. The beggar shook his head. If you let your belly rule you, it will surely trip and fool you, the old woman replied. I'm a tiger when I'm famished, so be gone, old beggar, vanish. She poked him with her chopsticks to drive him away. The old man waved his staff solemnly and said, by wind and rain, by moon and star, you will be what you say you are. And he limped away. Between sips of tea, the woman ate her last cube of bean curd. Right away, her skin began to itch. But when she tried to scratch, all she felt was fur. Puzzled, she looked and saw that her hands had turned to paws. Her neighbor pointed in her direction and said to the farmer, I think my eyes are tricking me. Is that a tiger roaming free with claws so smooth they almost shine? Has it come to town to dine? Frightened, the old woman dropped her cup of tea and began looking around frantically for the savage beast. When the farmer saw her, the scoop fell from his hand, scattering grain all over. He shouted, that tiger's hunting for a treat and you and I look much too sweet. Then the two old men ran for their lives. The old woman looked down at her reflection in the spilled tea. Ooh, I can't quite see it. See the reflection down there? Who's that I see there in the tea? It's got my dress. The tiger is me. Far down the street, she saw the sunlight wink off the spears of the tips of many soldiers. Terrified. She ran into her house, but the soldiers pursued her. The captain waved his sword and shouted, a prize to the one who takes her head. I'll hang that head above my bed. As the soldiers closed in, the old woman desperately leapt out a window and hid inside a sedan chair. On the seat, she found half a piece of steamed bread that a chair bearer had been eating before he ran away from the tiger. I'd be a dumb ox to waste a snack. His bread won't be here when he comes back. Before anyone else could eat it, she greedily chomped it down. Oh, uh oh, now what? Instantly, her claws fused together. The sedan chair suddenly grew very tight until she grew so big that the sides of the chair split and she wore curtains on her ears. As the soldiers poured out of her house, they pointed their spears at her and shouted, Get a box, get a noose. There's an ox out on the loose. Oh my. Trying to escape, the old woman galloped into a tailor stall. Out she burst, wrapped in long sheets of dyed silk. Then she dodged through the portrait painter's booth and became a rainbow of different colored inks. Round and around the market she went, smashing hearts and knocking over stalls, Birds and crickets flew from their cages. Gro goats broke their halters and butted the soldiers. Trying not to make it shiny, there we go. Finally, the soldiers threw ropes around her neck and legs and even on her tail as an angry crowd gathered in the ruined square. The captain announced, since this ox has wrecked each store, its stakes must settle up the score. The old woman bellowed, but that would be a big mistake. You're sure to get a bellyache. Everyone ignored her. As the soldiers went to find a butcher, the old woman saw some grain on the ground. For a moment, her greed made her forget her fear. Even a dumb bird would eat this grain. The farmer's loss would be my gain. 
Hurriedly, she gobbled up the grain before anyone else could find it. In the wink of an eye, she began to shrink. And the ropes plopped to the dirt. In a bronze mirror lying on the ground, she saw that she was now a little sparrow. With a flap of her wings, she rose up into the air high above the wall of the market and soared over the high wall into a garden where willow trees stood beside a lake. A green pavilion thrust out into the water like a giant lily pad, and there a rich man fed some birds. This is how the rich folk live. I'll hide here as a fugitive. My refuge will be elegant, but I'm starved as an elephant. Well, that makes me worried about what she's going to become next. Landing among the birds, she pecked at a sesame seed. When the other birds complained, she chased them away. Soon she had gobbled up all the seeds on the ground. Oh my. As soon as she had swallowed the last sheet seed, she swelled up so fast, she knocked the surprised man into the water. He sputtered and cried, the doors are locked and my gates are barred. How did an elephant enter my yard? She tried to escape as the servants answered their master's calls for help. Wearing the pavilion roof like a hat, she headed for the nearest doorway, but she was so big she got stuck. With a lunge, she pulled the doorway. She pulled down the doorway and with it, the whole side of the pavilion. In a panic, she blundered through the mansion seeking some place to hide. She tried to crawl under a big four-poster bed, but the servants found her. She tried to squeeze inside the wardrobe, but smashed it into kindling. She tried to climb a set of shelves, but only wrecked a collection of prized perfume bottles. Ooh, what a mess. Finally, she wound up in the kitchen where a cook was chopping vegetables and slicing meat. Flapping her elephant ears, she looked around. I've worked up such an appetite. I must take one teensy bite. But why stop there? I'll be a swine to eat your food and drink your wine. As fast as her trunk could move, she crammed food into her mouth. Bowls smashed and knives and spoons fell from the table. When she had finished everything in sight, she began to shrink again. Looking at her reflection in the blade of a cleaver, she saw that she had become a pig. A hand grabbed her hind leg. Since you've devoured my lovely feast, you'll take its place, you horrid beast. And the cook tied her to a table. As she listened to the cook sharpen his cleaver, the old woman gazed at the glistening cube of bean curd that had fallen on the floor nearby. Once again, she remembered the old beggar and his curse. She grunted sadly. If I had fed that poor old man, I would end up, I would not end up in a pan. Why was I mean? Why didn't I share? He could have had half, it would have been fair. Since this was going to be her last meal, she nibbled sadly at the bean curd until it was gone. The moment she changed, the next moment she changed back into a human. The cook stared at her in shock. Who are you and where's my sow? I must prepare my supper now. The old woman stood up and glared at the man. Then, with a shrug of her shoulders, she turned and marched straight home. After that, beggars never went hungry if they came to her door. She served them cubes of bean curd, smooth and shiny as white jade, and she told everyone, in kindness, I've become a believer since I faced the wrong end of fever. That is the story of the tiger woman. Well, the tiger woman is a parable, or maybe it's a fable. I'm not completely sure about the difference between the two of those things. I forget what makes a fable a fable. I think maybe it's the lesson. They both contain, but parables also contain a lesson or maybe a warning. The tiger woman learns a lesson about how to share, how to distribute what she has in a fair way. She comes to this conclusion at the end after that series of becoming different animals for gobbling up all the food. And there's a happy ending. It ends with her learning that lesson. She realizes the error of, error of her ways and what a relief that she's not stuck in the body of a pig or an elephant or a tiger. So today we jump into 
another story. It's not the first one we've heard from Jesus. We've heard a few different parables of Jesus over these weeks. But we're building today on last week uh, when Pastor Megan preached on the parable of the prodigal father, a man who embodies this the definition of prodigal, of wasteful extravagance, who, who values relationship over wealth. First of all, putting no strings on the money that he gives to his son. Uh, and then when the son returns, throwing a no holds barred party for him. A big shindig. And Pastor Megan also reminded us of the woman who's lost coin. Probably she spent more on the celebration of her lost coin than she would have had she just let the coin be lost or the value of that lost coin. Megan told us about a God who is bad at math or as Robin pointed out to us, bad at economics, bad at math, but good at parties, great at parties, a God who celebrates. And so today we hear another story about wealth and the economics of God, a rich man without a name, a poor and diseased man named Lazarus, a beloved ancestor, Abraham, and a great divide. First, a gate, then a chasm, a great chasm. There was a time in our congregation when we would we could have more or less interpreted this parable literally, literally. We, a congregation with much wealth, coming and going from our front doors uh, and through our courtyard, coming and going to potlucks and worship and celebrations and passing by people who are sleeping or leaning against our doorsteps right at our gate. People who experience homelessness. And we heard God's call in this parable and in other places that uh, Jesus talks about wealth. We heard that call and we companioned our neighbors who are experiencing homelessness. Those first meals on Sunday evenings have grown into Lake City Partners and now employing part in part, not only our pastors, Melanie and Jonathan, but over 30 people. Did you say 35 people, Melanie? Is that what you discovered this week? Something like that. Employer, a huge ministry and not only God's Little Acre, but uh, all of the ways that we are companioning our neighbors who live outside. And of course, the Oaks, permanent shelter for folks. I mean, a thing, a thing to celebrate. We did it. Happy ending. We did it. It is a real bummer that unlike the tiger woman, uh, this parable of Jesus doesn't have a neat and tidy and happy ending. At least it doesn't for the rich man. The parable keeps being relevant because wealth has not disappeared. And nor have those without wealth. We know that the wealth gap in the United States has grown. It just continues to grow exponentially. And this past year has only magnified that chasm between the rich, the super ultra rich and the poor. And I tried to think about this parable in modern terms. I tried to recast it in a modern context. So the rich man who wears purple and feasts luxuriously every day, who come and goes from his gated uh, palace or his gated house. Those details tell me this is somebody who has access both to wealth and to status. Purple was a dye so rare and so expensive that only the most, most wealthy could afford it. Harvested from a kind of a mollusk. So only a, the elite could afford that kind of luxury. So well, that's got to be someone like a Jeff Bezos or perhaps British royalty or a Trump, maybe a Kardashian or some other, other celebrity. Like that's like the upper echelon. And then Lazarus. Who would I cast as Lazarus? The one who is deceased and hungry and so low that dogs are licking his wounds. That is a little bit more of a stumper because who would I cast? I would have to know someone then, wouldn't I? I'd have to have a face in my mind, the name of a person my celebrity could step over. I think Jesus 
told the story in that way, giving Lazarus a name and giving the rich man, leaving him nameless. I think he did that on purpose. He's already given a name to the person at the bottom. This is a real person he could be talking about in this story, a face, a reality. The rich man, he left for us to give our own names to. It's so easy if I were to say that this rich man was Trump or was Bezos, because I know for sure that I am not that guy. I'm not like that. I'm not like that person. But Jesus did not give a name to the rich man. He didn't say to his audience, who were Pharisees, who he called lovers of money, though I'm sure that they did not think of themselves as money lovers. He didn't say to them, there was a rich man named Herod, or there was a rich man named Caesar. Instead, he described a luxurious lifestyle that those listening to him might have longed for. And at the same time, they would have shuddered at the thought of Lazarus covered with sores. And I, I can honestly say that my own visceral bodily response to hearing about a person who's covered in sores and the dog is licking them with like disgust. My skin crawls thinking about that. So instead of trying to assign the rich man to someone else, we all embrace what I believe Jesus' intention is. Identify with the rich or the aspiration to be rich or to earn more or to have a better life. Who aspires to be Lazarus? We don't even want to think about Lazarus. But it's hard because Jesus has given him a name. So who or what do I really not want to think about? Who do I not want to confront? Where are we still putting up barriers or allowing gulfs between ourselves and communities of others? Last year when we met with Floor Larson, or maybe it was over a year ago now, um, hard to believe, many of us learned the term gatekeeper for the first time. We learned that gatekeeping is the control of access to wealth and resources. And it is one of the uh, one of the aspects of whiteness that continues to contribute to systemic racism. By, by virtue of having a lot of wealth, including property and investments, we are gatekeepers. The tiger woman is a gatekeeper. She's controlling food distribution. The rich man in the parable is literally a gatekeeper. A gate is separating himself from Lazarus, who would be happy to receive even crumbs from the man's table. Crumbs. But the gate stays closed. And even when they are in the place of the dead, even when they have gone to the afterlife, the man expects Lazarus to serve him. He tells Abraham, not even speaking directly to Lazarus, mind you, he tells Abraham to send Lazarus to dip his finger to soothe his agony, to be a messenger to his family, the entitlement of this man. And Abraham tells him, I don't think so, buddy. Not now. You have made your bed. You have dug your moat. You have put up your gate. You have created a chasm. And that's that. There is no happy ending. I am positive that our congregation ranges wildly in personal wealth. I know some of us are in debt and we're barely getting by. Some of us are doing okay or maybe even a little, little better than okay. And some of us are doing much, much better than okay. But I don't know, I don't know the details of folks' personal finances. I do know that our congregation, as a congregation, um, over this past year, we asked for folks to contribute to a caring and sharing fund for people who have who had need in our congregation during COVID. Mm -hmm. And many donated, and 
almost no one took advantage of that fund. But that tells me about our congregation is that uh, as a community, we have access. We have access to family, we have access to networks, we have connections, we have access to gates where there are resources and where there is wealth. If there were, and we can easily walk through those gates. I'm absolutely sure that as a whole congregation, we also have wealth. That in spite of our very generous and sharing and our, the growth of our community ministry is just one example, as that has grown, so too has our wealth. I recently started listening to a podcast called Reparations, The Big Payback. <clears throat> From the very first episode, <clears throat> hosted by filmmakers, uh, social justice filmmakers, they call themselves, Erica Alexander, a black woman, Whitney Dow, a white man, <clears throat> and together they host this podcast about social, about uh, reparations, and they explore the history of that. And from the very first episode, it becomes so clear about the way wealth in this nation is just all tied up with whiteness. The way black and brown bodies have been literally treated as commodities to build wealth, but also the ways that, that these communities, the black and brown and Asian communities have been just systematically denied access to opportunity to build wealth through property or through investing or through education that have been afforded to white families and white communities. And, it, and it's still, still happening. It is not comfortable for me to talk about money. Very, very uncomfortable, in fact. I'm sure it is not comfortable for you to listen to me talking about money. This is, this is, uh, this is conversation that makes us squirm. It is hard. But I really believe that Jesus is talking to those of us with wealth, offering an opportunity. In this story, the rich man asks Lazarus to go and warn his brothers, tell them to open their gates. Notice the ones who are in your communities who are longing for the crumbs. So I wonder if that's where we are in this story, actually. Maybe not with Lazarus, who's already in the place of the dead, but maybe we who are still here are still living behind gates. We're like his family, his brothers, who he longs to hear this mess, the message of Jesus. And in the voice of, of Abraham, Jesus says to the rich man, they have Moses and the prophets. They must listen to them. If they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, even if someone rises from the dead. In other words, you already have all the information you need. You had it all along. You knew about the need to pull down the gate. You knew about God's jubilee. You had all the information. Your brothers have all the information that they need. Scripture is clear. The prophets have been clear. And now we, we in the Christian community, we have a resurrected one proclaiming it to us, proclaiming the law and the prophets. Jesus is clear. We have all the information we need. We know how our wealth has accumulated. We know the people who are scrambling for crumbs. And the truth is, I do know the folks who are doing that hustling. We know the folks that are out there. I, I think maybe it was in a, a pod, uh, not a podcast, a webinar that I did with several of, of you called Philanthropy So White, um, presented by Edgar Villanueva, whose book uh, Stewardship Council read a year or two ago. Um, I think it was in this webinar, Philanthropy So White, where I heard reflected the way that Black-led organizations and nonprofits, they're, they're out here working their tails off and still just barely getting by. And if by some miracle they get a grant from a foundation or a philanthropist, 
their spending is scrutinized or questioned or so many strings attached to that giving that it makes them hard to just fulfill the fullness of their mission. An organization like Queer the Land, who I'm who I follow on social media, they just they scramble and scrape and side hustle to afford one piece of property to protect black and brown folks from being homeless, queer black and brown folks who are the most at risk population for being homeless. When I came to Seattle Mennonite Church, it feels like yesterday, but almost 16 years ago now, a long time ago already, we didn't have a community ministry. We didn't have community ministers. We didn't have, we also didn't have the Woo building just like right next door here outside my window. We didn't have our properties on 33rd Avenue, which are now, thanks be to God, Valor Housing. We had one regular evening meal once a week or once a month. And that grew into a weekday morning and evening drop off of stuff and small community meals. And we have done such amazing work with the money that God has gifted to us, that God, that, that God has put before us. I'm proud, I'm so proud to be a part of this congregation. And I am so ready to do even more. I'm so ready to fling the gates open. Uh, in general, I am not an inspirational quote kind of person, <clears throat> but I have been hearing a quote from Maya Angelou ringing in my ears recently, who said, do the best you can until you know better. And when you know better, do better. We have really done the best. We have done amazing work. And as we keep listening to Jesus and to the prophets, as we keep learning about whiteness and its hold on us, as we keep hearing from black and indigenous leaders in our community, we're learning we're learning about what is even better. We can do better. We can. The chasm is not in fact fixed for us. We can unlock the gates and step through. May it be so. We're going, to, we're going to sing, Move in Our Midst, Now Spirit of God. If, if we've sung it before, um, and this version has different chords, so the melody will be what we are used to, but the chords will be a little different. Move in our midst, Thou Spirit of God, go with us down from thy Walk with us through the storm and the calm. Spirit of God, go thou with us still. Touch thou our hands to lead us aright. Guide us forever, show us thy way. Transform our darkness into the light. 
it's time for prayers. And I invite you to name any prayers that you have in the chat box that I can include. Just want us to spend a moment reflecting, noticing the chasm between peoples. We ask God today to stitch us back together as your community. We ask for empathy and understanding for one another, knowing the name of the other, our neighbor or our enemy. Open wide the gate, God. Break down the divisions. Let us be able to celebrate our togetherness. Thanks be to God. I invite you to breathe. Take in a breath. <sighs> Let us take in another breath and let it out with a sigh. Ooh. <clears throat> Blessed one, a wilderness beckons us, a desert, a barren place, yet a place of blessing and discovery. Jesus, steady companion, accompany us as we enter the hurtful places the frightening places, the dangerous places deep within us. Jesus, our wild and well-traveled guide, lead us into this emptiness where all will fall away and we will have nothing but you. Walk with us through the valley of the shadow of death where we shall be raised and drink of deep streams. Hear now the prayer of your people gathered in your name. God, we see the migrant children streaming to our southern borders, fleeing poverty, the devastation brought by hurricanes, and violence. May we as a nation find the collective will and muster the collective resources to welcome them with grace and with dignity. God, protect each one. Open wide the gate. With more and more of us vaccinated against COVID-19 and many more of us still waiting for our opportunity, we pray for this season of transition. As we move toward more in-person community again, grant us wisdom as we make decisions. Give us grace for ourselves and for others as we all fumble our way through to new and slowly emerging normals. Bring us steadily into a day of joyous, song-filled togetherness. We pray for teachers and, and students adjusting to in-class learning or its potential, for the stress and impacts that this pandemic has brought onto our bodies, our minds and spirits, for the loss that we've experienced or the rekindled relationships in this new reality. May we find ways to experience relief in the outdoors and celebrate the sunshine and the blossoms. We offer prayers for our neighbors who in Lake City especially are extremely frustrated with the noise and the trash created by people living together in parks. 
We ask that this anger be turned into compassion and reasons to advocate for solutions. We are grateful for the new outreach workers that are coming online this week in Lake City from the Seattle Indian Center that will those folks will support people in the encampments and make real solutions to homelessness. May housing be found. We are grateful and hopeful that the stimulus money will impact all positively and erase the chasm between peoples. As our congregation continues to process and listen together around the Mennonite Voluntary Service House, we pray for our leaders as they offer proposals. We pray for our listeners who are preparing for our decision-making meeting in April. Grateful for the yes of Emily Headings, of Carl Lind and Kyle Reimergarten. This week, we remember Connie Valenzuela, cousin to Elizabeth, who died after years living with Alzheimer's. Peace be with her family as they hold her memory and celebrate her life tomorrow, either online or in person. For prayers in the chat box. From Rex, we pray together with Rex that we listen to our pastors and spiritual leadership team in case, in these cases, they are our prophets. From Christy and Samuel, we pray for peace as Christy's grandma is in her final days of life for her mother as she is with her. With Zach, we pray for the refugees whose flights to the U.S. got canceled. For the Biden administration, as they might find a quick fix. For all our prayers, spoken and unspoken, we pray together this in the spirit of prayer that Jesus taught with new words. Blessed one, our source and support, holy is your name. May your love be enacted in the world. May your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us in the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For all that we do in your love and all that your love brings to birth and the fullness of love that will be are yours now and forever. And all peop God's people together said, Amen. Thanks be to God. We are grateful for all the gifts that each of you offers to our congregation, your participation in worship, on councils, in small groups, your time and energy in gifts of service, and your monetary gifts. And we are grateful for the means to collect offerings digitally. May we, in our giving and sharing, participate in the miracle of enough. And now Robin and Mike will lead us in our closing song, We Will Follow Jesus. We'll stick with, Eng well, you can sing, um, you can sing Zulu if you want, but I'm gonna sing English three times through. 
Receive now this benediction. Whatever wilderness the Spirit has brought you to, walk in boldness as a beloved child of God. Walk in peace under the shelter of the Most High. Walk in faith, knowing Christ walks with you. Amen.